Hey everybody, so today I'm here with Jan. Jan is a 78-year-old woman who is just living life the best way that she knows how. Um, she has an incarcerated son um, who just has had a troubled life. Well, actually, Jan has two, two, chi two children, two sons. So she'll discuss today uh, about her two children, um, their lives, and her involvement in, in the parenting aspects of, of how everything just turned out. So I'll let Jan explain all of that. So introducing Jan, how are you? Hi, how are you? Good to hear you. I'm doing okay. So how are you dealing with everything with COVID and, and the stress of everything going on today? Well, it's very stressful. I, I stay closed in. Um, I'm, I'm a uh, introvert. Uh, because of the way I was raised. Uh, so I stay to myself a lot, which makes it easier staying in. Um, I don't like the way it's headed. And um, I think something needs to be done more drastic to control it. Or we're going to lose the country for sure. You know. Um, well, you know, sp speaking of, of which, but you're, you're an able-bodied elderly woman like you work on your home you do a lot of things um you 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 are the type that seem to be having to constantly move and constantly do things so how are you coping with that stress of constantly having to do things but in your home well i make up for my introversion by doing things in my home i do practically everything by myself um, I learned from my German father, who uh, taught me that things won't get done unless you get do it and do it the way you want it done, because you'll never be happy with anybody else's work. So I grew up under that philosophy. Um, I paint. I, I I rebuild walls. I I change everything around, and I mean from not just furniture and that and pictures, but almost the rooms themselves. Um, and I like it. I, I like keeping myself busy because if, if I sit too long, not only do I get stiff as an older woman, but I get bored and restless. And, and um, so I'm always trying to find something to do. Now you live alone, right? I live alone. I, I have my, um, my super buddy. My, I have a Doberman. Um, he's He's my companion, my best friend. He's my shadow. Um, I would be lost without him, and he keeps me company. Mm -hmm. And then my son comes over and visits me. My one son, my youngest son, comes over and visits me often, which is a great help because I know I'm not forgotten then. And my older son um, lives down in the Keys, so it's very difficult to see him. But he's going through uh, some harsh realities himself. Mm -hmm. How was your relationship with your with your sons? Well, my relationship with my young son is is I think very good. Um, you know, we have political differences, but aside from that, um, I'm still trying to teach him. You know, to be a go getter, and you know, you have to get what you want, and you don't have to to live in a lifestyle that is detrimental to your psyche. My oldest son, you know, uh, 
he turned out completely different than my younger son. Um, he's a user. I hate to say that, but the truth is what it is. He's a user. He will use people to get what he wants, um, no matter what repercussions there are from that. And in conversations, he has to dominate and, um, you know, be the aggressor in it. And that's upsetting to me, but I can't change it. He's he's going through cancer now. Um, for the last year and a half, he's been fighting that, and that that puts a great deal of stress on me. Because, as you mothers know, well, even you fathers, because you love your daughters and your sons the same. But a mother's love never dies, no matter what the child does. It's there. So, take me back into your childhood, your upbringing, your growing up. Oh, wow. And, you know, the, the aspect of this show is, is really to pay attention to just mental decisions that we've made in our lives out of just the emotions that we were in at the time. And how, you know, they've just directed and, and affected our lives in, in so many different ways. So, when you're describing your, your childhood, you know, really get into... Um, the process of why you were making these decisions that you were making and what they were based off of. A lot of it was so many years ago. But on the other hand, I grew up in a German household. I had very strict parents. We, we were told what to do, what to say, when to sit, when to stand what to eat, what time to go to bed, what time to get up. And basically that was how I grew up. Neither one were affectionate parents, so I was not taught to show affection to others. Um, my father was, was uh, quick to react, especially with my older brother. And uh, us girls would just get spankings and sent to bed without dinner. But he would be, uh, you know, knocked around a little bit. And as soon as he graduated from school, he left and never came back. Um, he went to Salt Lake City, met a girl who was a Mormon. He turned Mormon and had a seclusive life with no, very little interaction with our family. So, you know, I've lost contact with him. What What year... What are these years that, that you were, you know, growing up up in the... Uh... Well, I was born in 1942. Mm -hmm. So I grew up basically in, in the uh, 40s, 50s. By the time I got into the 60s, things were starting to change because I was almost grown and in that independent stage. But we'll get to that. And you grew up on a farm. Yes, my father and, and uh, my father and mother both worked at Frigidaire, which was a manufacturing plant in Ohio. But on the side of that, my dad grew up as a farm boy who never graduated from school. I think he got to something like the sixth grade and his parents pulled him out. He had uh, seven brothers and sisters under him. And so dad needed him to work the farm in order to make their living. Uh, so my dad had that farming instinct in him. And so he moved us to a farm 
in a little town called Germantown, Ohio. And um, it was a full farm, you know, the cows, hogs, chickens, uh, wheat fields, corn fields. Like what we see on TV. What you see on life. TV, the farm, the real farm life. And my duties was to, um, all of his kids got up at six o'clock in the morning and Larry, my older brother, would go out and his job was to feed and slop the hogs and then go get the cows and bring them in. And Dad would do the milking. And then by seven, I had to be out and gathering the chicken eggs and cleaning up the chicken coop of, you know, anything, debris or anything laying around and feed the chickens. That was my job. And this was before school? And this was before school. How but, long would that take you? Oh, it would take me about an hour every morning. What would happen if you slacked off on the uh, job? We or? didn't slack off because we knew. Our parents took no no um, excuses for anything. There was no excuse. You know what your chores were. You know what you had to do. We'd go to school, ride the bus. You don't miss the bus. If you miss the bus, you get sent to bed without dinner, plus a spanking too. Um, school was tough on me because I was an introvert. I had no no confidence in myself uh, because my parents were so strict and no affection, no real teaching on how to be a good human being, just grow up and be responsible. To be able to produce as fast as possible. Well, by that, if you mean get your chores done and and my sister's job was to keep the house clean so when mother come home from work at four o'clock, all she had to do was prepare dinner and then she was done for the day. And then it was mine and Carol's responsibility then to clean up the kitchen and then Larry had to go back out and do the hogs and I had to feed the chickens before dinner, forgot that part. Chickens were my responsibility. Carol had no... Um, Carol is your sister. Carol is my sister. She is a year older than I was, a year and four months older than me. So we were close. But I always resented it because she didn't have any outside chores because she was too pretty. Mom mom kept saying, no, Carol's not going to. Carol, do the house. She'll help me with laundry and things like that. So, you know, Larry and I did the outside chores and Carol got to stay in the house. And Now, is that something that was shown to you or is that just an opinion or, or a feeling that you had as a, as a child? No, it was shown to me. How so? It was shown to me. Because... When 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 one child is picked over to to um, to receive the best part of growing up, um, all she had to do was you know run sweeper dust, you know help mom prepare bit dinner. Well, Larry and I had to go out and do the dirty work, and then come back in the house down and eat. And half the time she would argue with me about, you know, she hated to wash the dishes. So I was in charge of having to wash the dishes every night and it was supposed to be alternated. You know, it, it was just well, and this is, the way it was. And this is my, my point almost is because is it possible that you were growing up resenting the fact that Carol was in the house doing the easy clean chores and you were outside doing the dirty chores, but isn't it possible that maybe Carol was also inside wanting to be outside doing the dirty chores? No, she did not. She did not. 
But you said that she didn't want to do the dishes. She didn't want to wash the dishes, no. She hated washing the dishes. And she would just dry and put them away. Uh, and then, then, instead of sweeping the floor, I was made to sweep the floor because she wouldn't sweep the floor. And I remember one time I swept the kitchen floor after dinner and Mother came in and I missed some food particles on the floor. And my mother didn't say anything. She just went over and picked up the broom and she held it by the bristles. And as I was walking away from her, she turned and swung it at me and hit me across my back. It's one of the, the main things that stuck out to me. Well, talk about your mother some. Mother was very, um, oh golly. There was no affection from mother at all. There was never any I love yous or giving us hugs. If we fell down, she would make sure that our wounds were dressed. She did everything that a mother is supposed to do as far as physically taking care of you. But there was no emotional support or teachings of, of um, what a girl is supposed to learn as she grows up, the confidence, the self-esteem, uh, how to be a good mother, how to cook, you know, um, and do it with, with the ease of a mother teaching her child instead of just barking the orders. Um, we had an old ring type washer. And old you, ring type washer. The, old, the older ladies will understand what that is. You know, you have to pour the hot water into a big tub and it's got an agitator you plug in and then it's got a ringer on the side of the, the big tub. So every Saturday morning was a laundry day. And Carol always got out of it somehow. There's a couple times that she would, she did it, but mostly she'd find a reason she had to do homework or she had a headache or she whatever her reason she could come up with. Because when mother put the clothes in the washer, you know, she had a great big old stick and she had to take that stick and prod the clothes and move them around until the agitator would finally you know, start swishing the water around. Hmm. And then she would pick the clothes up and run them through the ringer, and I had to be on the other side of the ringer with a big tub underneath. And as the clothes came down, I had to help pull them through and drop them in the tub. And then we had to go through draining the tub and filling it back up with cold water so we'd go through the rinse cycle. And you did that with every load. And, and, how, was, and how, how, how big was a load? Well, it's just your normal load. I normal mean, the, the washing machines back then were just like maybe 15 gallons. Mm -hmm. They stood like that and about that big around, which they can't see what that is, but they get about the size of a little barrel, uh -huh. a wine barrel. Isn't be. it amazing just just the, 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 the evolution of yeah. just a washing machine, of what you had to go through back then to wash clothes? Yeah. So now you just throw it in, shut the door, push a button. And then the ringers never got all the water out. So now when you're carrying that basket, or we had that, it wasn't a basket because the basket wouldn't hold it, but it was a tub. Mother would get one handle, I'd get the other, and we'd walk them out to the clothesline. And then to struggle with wet clothes, to put them on so the this line. this was an all-day event. It would, yes. We would start probably after breakfast, and maybe one or two o'clock we were done. And this was on Sundays? Saturdays. Saturdays. Every Saturday. 
And this was after a, 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 a full week of farming duties, mm-hmm. schoolwork. And my chickens didn't stop. I had to go out and feed the chickens and do all that before I helped mother with the laundry. So is, is, is it safe to assume that work was the priority over education? Well, mother graduated from high school and went into uh, nursing uh, before she met. She met dad while she was in her first year of in the school of nursing. So she knew the importance of education and she wanted to become a nurse. Well, when she met dad and fell in love with dad and he was an old farm boy and, you know, she ended up getting pregnant so they had to get married. And so mother felt her dream was taken away from her because she had all three of us kids in a wham, bam, bam. You know. But the first one was unplanned. The first one was unplanned. Okay. Unplanned. Well, all three of us were unplanned. And I think I've always felt that she resented me because I came so soon after Carol. A year and four months later, I was born. And so she had two babies crawling around. One just barely walking and one a newborn. And that was a lot of responsibility for her, plus you know, can getting the vegetables, canning. At that point, she had the resp- total responsibilities of the house and, you know. Well, so in those times, you know, how was birth control? There was none. Okay, so you have a woman who is getting married. Or, well, they didn't get married until she got pregnant. But she she's having a relation with a man, but she's not ready to have children it sounds like that wasn't um communicated between the two or wasn't mom and dad never communicated all the times of me growing up i never remember them sitting at the table and having a discussion mother took the money mother paid the bills mother hid part of the money oh (laughs) that was really funny because one time my sister and i was playing dolls and we went into her bedroom for some reason or another. And I tipped over her makeup. She had a makeup table and then she had a wooden stool. You know, just three sides. The two stands, the two legs on it and the top. And it had a cloth over it with a skirt around it. And whatever we were doing, I tipped it over. And underneath of it, she had attached a cardboard thing to the bottom of the underside. And all I could see was money. And Carol and I were just sitting there laughing about it. And I said, I wonder how much it is. So we pulled it out and counted it. And it was over $400. I'll never forget that. At that time. At that time, that was a lot of money. Of course it was. So Mother was hoarding money for whatever reason, I don't know. And we never let her know until we were grown that we had found that. <laughs> well, that's a great story because, again, that, that shows, right, going back into previous episodes of mine, just the deviancies that we have as as human beings, right? The secrets and the deviancies that and we have. And those are things that taught me the same traits. Mm-hmm. And and this is this is such a great story because again, we're we're producing a timeline again of emotional decisions that are being made without one communication, without two uh, openness and honesty. No, it was none. So, just do as I say. Period. So the deviancy, again, from your parents is now 
uh, transcending into you and you don't even realize that your thought process is now being formed through these deviancies that you're finding and seeing through your parents mm -hmm. right now how does the, those affect your daily decisions at that time so say for instance now let, let's continue with the money that you found if you can remember you found this money you know that it's a secret mm -hmm. oh yeah we knew to keep our mouth shut right so if you can remember any of the emotions of times where you had this this secret that you knew and I, did it did it affect you in any kind of I way? I don't remember it affecting me in any kind of way. I do remember that mother made mine and Carol's uh, clothes back in the day to get feed for the cows. It came in big bags. She made your clothes. And they were different designed bags that held this grain. Mm -hmm. And so mother would take those that fabric and she would make our skirts and our blouses out of it. Mother was a good seamstress. I will give her that. Mm -hmm. And she would make Larry's, you know, shirts. She would buy the white linen material you know, and she would make Larry's t-shirts and things like that out of. And these are school clothes? and No, not school clothes, but... Were you ever teased for these clothes? Huh? Were you ever teased or anything? Oh, Did yes. Yeah. We were called the feed sack girls. Oh. We were the feed sack girls. And, but anyway, but when it came time for Mother to, to replenish her clothes, she went to the store and got them. Because she always had to be dressed nice. Mm -hmm. That was Mother's thing. Um, and, you know, and going on, I think I was in maybe the fourth grade. So it would maybe about nine or ten. And um, I had no prejudice. We had a little black girl that was in our class. I don't remember her name anymore, but I can picture her. I can still see the pigtails that her mother kept her hair in. And her and I became like school chums, but I could never say anything at home about having a school friend because I made that mistake when I was younger and I was sent to my room for palling around at school instead of studying. So I learned that school life is different than home life. But this one particular day, her and I went to the swings and there was only one swing left. And so her and I argued about who was going to sit and who was going to stand. So we decided I would sit and she would stand and be the pumper. The pusher, right. Pushing you on the swing. No. She was standing one foot on each side and her hands holding the chains. Ah. Uh, and she's what we called the pumper. Okay. She would go up and down and that would make her swing go higher. Well, she kept going higher and higher and I kept telling her, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall. My hands are sweaty. I can't hold on. One more time, one more time. Well, I fell out. Make the long story short. And uh, fell on my knee and just opened my knee completely up. Mm. Well, of course, the, the school nurse, you know, came and she was putting pressure and everything on it. They had to call mom and dad. Well, mother came and got me and took me to the doctor and they put clamps in my leg. And wrapped it up and gave me crutches and I couldn't walk on it for a week, he said. Well, when I got home, mother berated me so bad. Number one, she found out she was a black girl. 
and I got a spanking for having anything to do with a black girl. Then, when Dad got home, I got another spanking because I had Mother miss three-fourths of a day at work, which would deplete their income. But if he only knew how much money she had tucked away, he probably wouldn't have got so upset. But anyhow, when it came supper time, I was laying on the couch, and you can imagine my leg was in a lot of pain. And I could only have aspirin. That's all that mother, she would, she didn't believe in pain pills, so I only could have aspirin. Anyway, come supper time, and she called in to me in the living room and told me dinner's on the table. I said, Mom, you know, I can't get up. You know, the crutch, whatever. Dad came in and picked me up and took me in and sat me at the chair so that I could eat dinner. And after dinner was over and Dad went out to do the chores and Larry with me, she came over and slapped me in the face because she said I didn't deserve that kind of attention because I was bad at school. And from now on, if I was to go anywhere and my crutches were not in reach, I could crawl and get them. That's how my mother raised me. And I don't want to get into it too much, but you made a very good point. You know, and 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 because of because of the those type of interactions that probably went on in in so many households, and I'm speaking of the interaction of mm -hmm. you getting a, 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 a spanking because you were hanging out with a black girl. Mm -hmm. What did that teach you as as a, as a white child? Well, when I went back to school, you know, about a week later, I went back to school on crutches, and I remember she ran up to me. She was so happy to see me. And I had to tell her I couldn't, I couldn't talk with her anymore. I wasn't allowed to associate with her anymore. And and that probably altered her life. Probably. That, you know. So, but okay. So moving forward now, you're you're at an age now where you want to get away from home, or you feel like you can get away from home. Or well, what happened there was I, as I went through high school. <laughs> <coughs> We now, uh, I'm sorry, but are you still being teased in high school? Are you still... No. Were I, you ever popular? No. No. I had uh, one friend, her name was Loretta Land, and she was like me. I'm basically brought up the same way as I. So, you know, in between our classes, you know, we would talk or at lunch we sat together. But that was basically about it. Um, school was tough because... I would see the other girls, you know, clowning around and the boys and and I wasn't allowed to interact with anybody. And so I became more of an introvert. And Dating was out of the question. Oh no, there was no dates. I never had a date until after I graduated from high school because I wasn't allowed to date. Okay. But Carol and I both, as soon as we got out of high school, we went to work in a factory and we had to give mom half of our, whatever we brought home, we had to give mother half of it for our cost of living. And, um, but she said, she kept saying, this is to teach you that money is hard to come by, that you have to pay for your way. 
And it did teach us that. Both Carol and I became very efficient with money. We made sure our responsibilities were taken care of, no matter what they were. Uh, so in a way, they did teach us some, some really good things. But in the other way, we were not taught to be affectionate with our children. Um, it, it, um, it did a number on our self-esteem. We both selected men that were what most, most parents would shun out of the house and wouldn't let their daughter even talk to because we felt that those were the only men that would have anything to do with us. Why? Because that's the way we thought about ourselves. When you grow up in a home without love and affection and, and doing the normal things that kids do, you become so unsure of everything in your life, you know, that it, it, it naturally comes out of you and the other guy, guys see that from whatever guys can pick up on that when a woman Confidence, is right yeah and they move in and we're the, they're the first ones that pay us any attention so there we are we're we're with them and see me being a guy you know when I see a girl like that what, what you're describing um, and I reflect back to my childhood I, I always think about the girl becoming like I would shy away I mean you're you're absolutely correct I would shy away from girls like that because I felt like they would become so attached mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. uh, uh, affectionate you know um, I guess attached is, is the best attached word attached is the best word so you know you're absolutely correct I mean I, I would I would shy away from these girls I wanted girls that, that were doing their own thing had mm -hmm. confidence you know and, and of course were popular Mm -hmm. You know, cute. They could raise my popular status by being with them. Things like that. Mm -hmm. You know. That's exactly right, and that's what happened. So Carol married a guy that Dick never abused her physically, but he did emotionally. And and my sister ended up with in later in her life. You know, she had one son, Chris, um, and she doted on Chris. Carol and I both doted on our kids because we made a pact that we would not treat our kids the way our parents treated us. And um, so she doted on Chris, he, you know, he was her whole life, because Dick was on the railroad and gone all the time. You know, he'd be spending weekends away telling her he was on train trips when he was shacked up with a girl in another town. And um, so it, it, it altered both of our lives and the way we treated the men in our life. Because we became, we'll do anything to please you if if you just stay with us. So tell me yeah. about your first your first boyfriend, your first relationship, and how how that went down with your parents. How just tell me all about that experience. Well, I, I'd had a couple dates. I lost my virginity when I was almost twenty um, to a guy who. How did that happen? Well, his name was Ernie. And he, uh, to me, he was the best looking thing there was. I mean, but he didn't pay any attention to me because he was in the group that, at this point, Carol and I were, you know, hitting bars and on the weekends. And, you know, so we met him at a bar. But he picked up readily, you know, that I was that unsure and 
like I said, guys do that. And um, mom and dad had a lake house on a lake in the middle of Ohio, which was about maybe 80 miles north of, of the house. And so this weekend we decided, uh, Carol and I, that you know we'd invite the boyfriends over and you know watch TV, whatever. And I'm a virgin. I have no idea what life's all about. So Ernie and Warren came over. Carol's a boyfriend. And uh, next thing I know, Warren and Carol go back in the bedroom. And I was completely aghast. I mean, I was shocked. And Ernie's putting the moves on me, and I'm unsure, and all I can think about, well, my sister's in there. Why can't I do it? I mean, what's the difference? So I let him take me back to the bedroom and wham, bam, thank you. And he got up and walked out of the room. And so there I was in my first experience and used like a rag doll. And that affected me. So I didn't have many boyfriends because I just didn't like it. I thought that's what sex was and I didn't like it. How did that affect you? You say it affected you. How did it affect you? Oh, it tore down my confidence completely in myself. And then I felt completely worthless. Now I know what guys want. Now I know, you know, that they're all bullshit. And, you know, he used me. He took my virginity and got up and walked out like it was nothing. Oh, um, it wasn't a good experience. Well, and, and, and again, it was, it was a decision that you made based off an of emotion. Of my own insecurities. And, well, emotions, you know, and... It sounded like from what you had said about, you know, why is Carol in the room and mm -hmm. she's doing it? Why couldn't I do it? It right. almost sounds like a sense like you were trying to, as they say, keep up with the Joneses. You know, uh, w would you agree with that? Well, I felt that she was in there being loved on. And here's Ernie with his arm around my shoulder on the couch, you know, whispering all kinds of junk in my ear. And I'm thinking to myself, well, she's in there, you know. The guy is loving her, and so if she's doing it, it must be okay. Uh-huh. So, what happened after you didn't see Ernie anymore or anything like that? Yeah, I saw him one other time. Carol and I moved out of Mom and Dad's house shortly thereafter and got an apartment. And um, Warren brought Ernie over one night, and it led to the same thing. It led to the same thing. And when he, when he started to get up and walk out, I, I started screaming at him. I'll never forget that. It's one of the people downstairs didn't call the cops. I was screaming at him. What a complete asshole he was and on and on and on. He had no regards for my feelings or all so I was. was were, were your parents aware of Ernie? Did you ever? No. So you never told about that? No. Again, more secrets. No, I never told. When Carol and I moved out, we would go see mom and dad every now and then, maybe for a dinner or something like that. But we never told them anything about what what we did. You know, they didn't even know Carol had worn until she became pregnant. So you're still going to bars? Are you going to bars more frequently now after Ernie and these experiences? No, it's uh, still the same. Friday and Saturday night we went to this one tavern. You know, we had a band and all that. And, you know, and but by then... When a guy tried to pick up on me. 
So, sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't, depended on my mood. So moving into the, the father of your two boys. How I met him? Explain all of that. Where are you at in life at that point when you're meeting him? Well, uh, Carol, Carol got pregnant and um, she had the baby and gave it up for adoption. Um, why? Why did she give up her? Well, at that point she was just shy of being 21 and we were working in a factory and oh this so so this is shortly after Ernie then mm-hmm yeah it was yeah okay she, she got pregnant from okay. the apartment and um mom and dad wouldn't have anything to do with her when they found out she was pregnant so Aunt Dorothy who I love dearly even to this day Aunt Dorothy um, was my dad's sister-in-law and she and Ray took Carol in and about a week before the baby was due um, mom and dad finally told her she could come home and have the baby and but she would have to give it up for adoption they they didn't they didn't want her to keep it and they talked her into it I remember later in life Carol told me how much she that was one of the things that she held against mom and dad was talking her into that. Um, the baby was taken immediately back in that day. You didn't get to see the baby at all. As soon as it pops out, it's gone. Mm. Gone. And um, they would even keep it in a separate room from the nursery so that if you walk down there, you, you can't see it. They wouldn't let any of us see it. Well, knowing what we know today, did that create any... any uh depression in Carol? I mean, did that shift her or how did that affect her? I think, well, I'm trying to remember. It's been so long ago. Well, it's not that important. I, I, I would just she started, She kept on seeing Warren for a while after that. But then she finally broke it off with him. And shortly after that, she met Dick, married Dick, and was confined in her house so to my knowledge Carol only had two men in her life Warren and Dick mm. okay and now you are you're you're working where well I'm still working at the same factory I, I was working there and then I met a girl in the factory named Diana and her husband was a saxophone player and so she talked me into coming down to her house spending the weekend and um, you know going and watching Ronnie play the sax so we did we went to this place called the Dream Bar Franklin Ohio and about 11 o'clock at night in walked this guy and all of a sudden I fell instantly in love I didn't even know him or anything but I mean he was the best looking thing I'd ever seen in my life whatever so during an intermission he went up and was talking to Ronnie and then Ronnie brought him over to the table where Diana and I were sitting and introduced us and I don't know we just started dating what do you mean you started dating like okay well explain what happened well, when he came to the table well he you know introduced himself and told me about himself and all this and that and the other and where's your emotions in that and my emotions are I'm goggle eyed you know, I'm, I'm a 
you know, I mean, he could see my shyness. He could see I was an introvert. I mean, you know, like most men, he picked up on all that. So when the end of the evening was over and we packed up the instruments, Diane and Ronnie invited him over to their house. And um, so we go over to, to their house and, you know, they had a couple kids. They sent the babysitter home and so there was no bedroom. And so um, I was going to sleep on the couch. Well, Tom felt he was too drunk to drive. That's his name, Tom. Tom. His name was Tom. He felt he was too drunk to drive and he was afraid he'd get a DUI and could he, you know, sleep on the couch. And uh, he tried all night long and I wouldn't do anything. Because I, 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 to me, you know, once you give a guy what he wants, you know, you never see him again. The, well, that's your experience. That was my experience. So I, uh, I refused him over and over. And that probably drove him wild. Uh, prob- I mean, you know, he tried to get more insistent, but I held on to it. Well, finally, the, the next morning, Ronnie had to go to work. It was on a Saturday. And um, so Diana had to drive him to work. And so after they went to work, Tom made his moves again, and I finally went, oh, the hell with it. Yeah. Um, he mentally wore you down. Yeah. Emotionally, <laughs> mentally, he wore me down. So anyhow, um, the following weekend, I never heard from him all week, you know. Um, he spent part of the day Saturday there. And uh, and then I never heard from him until the next weekend. I went back down with Diana because I wanted to... I wanted to see if I walked into the dream bar and he was there, how was he going to react? That was what I want. I wanted to know for myself. And so we went in the dream bar, and as soon as he came in and he saw me, he came straight over to the table. Mm. How'd that make you feel? Well, that that piqued my interest a little bit more. I thought, well, maybe he's not such a bad guy, but then why didn't he call me all week? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, well, to make a long story short, we just start dating and. Um, I found out after some time that he was married, and he and, I can't remember her name, um, but she had left him and was out in Oklahoma, and they were separated, so then I thought, well, I guess that's okay. Um, So we started really dating, and, and of course I was falling harder for him, and the next thing I know, the girl from Oklahoma comes back to Franklin. And the two of them get in an apartment together. And it was a couple of weeks I didn't hear from him. And I, you know, what the hell, you know? Well, I eventually found out, of course. Broke my heart. Well, then he and her broke up again. This time he said it's over. And then he came back and, you know, we worked things out. And, and then I got pregnant with my oldest son and uh, what year is this now that would have been 1967 he was born in six november 67 so yeah it would have been probably in spring when i found out i was pregnant but you guys aren't married yet no no we were just you know dating off and on well dating you know having an affair is really what it was um 
And when I found out I was pregnant, you know, I just told him I was pregnant. And I remember he just sat there and just kept looking at me. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, what do you want to do? That's the question. Well, tell me about that day. Um, like, what, what, was you nervous? Oh, have, of have course. You, have you told anybody that you're pregnant? Have you told no. Carol, your parents? No. So nobody knows that you're pregnant. Nobody knows I was pregnant. Yeah. And, and how did that decision come about that you wanted to tell Tom? Well, I felt he had a right to know, and I wanted to see what what he was going to do, you know. And Were you scared? Oh, uh, very, very. You didn't know what to do? Uh, you know, I just blunted it out because I, I didn't even know how to present it to him because we never had a real open communication about life and like what most people that are dating talk about. You know, to him, it was just going to a bar and drinking, and so it was just a physical. It was a physical relationship, is more all it or less. essentially was. More or less. I mean, I wanted it to be more, but it, it wasn't a relationship where you guys came together and, like you say, you guys went on dates and you guys communicated and talked about your goals with mm -mm. each other and mm -mm. and life plans, and then mm -mm. so it was just. But you got to remember that's the way I was raised. Right. You know, keep your mouth shut and. You know. But anyhow, uh, I just came. I said, "Okay." I said, "I can see that you, you feel that, you know." Well, he came out with it. Is it mine? And I remember sitting there looking at him. I said, "How can you say that to me? How can you even think that?" Well, I have to know. I said, "Of course, it's yours." And I said, "Look, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything." I said, I've got a good job. I'm, I'm going to have this baby. There's no doubt about it. I'm not getting an abortion. I'm going to have this baby. But I'll take care of it myself. I'll raise it. You won't have to have anything to do with it. And he just sat there for the longest time, which seemed like an eternity, but probably five minutes or so. And he said, no. He said, as soon as I get my divorce, he said, we'll get married. How'd that make you feel? Relieved that I wouldn't be going through it alone. Did you think at all that you were just getting, that he was marrying you just because you were pregnant or he was marrying you because he had interest in you? I, I think the only reason he married me because I was pregnant. Because he ran around constantly we, Diamond got his divorce. I was eight months pregnant. So we went to the alder with me eight months pregnant. And uh, when the baby was born, I mean, he did, you know, stay at the hospital with me, but he wouldn't come in the room. He didn't want to be with me at the time. He waited out in a waiting room somewhere. And so basically I went through it by myself. Um, and that affected me. But when he had the son, that seemed to have softened his approach to me. Um, he was kinder. And he didn't go out for about the first six weeks or so. He was so wrapped up in the baby. Um, his mother lived with us. And I loved him, eh? She, she was everything that my mother wasn't. 
and so I learned a lot from May. And uh, May would take care of Tommy when I went back to work. Tommy is. Tommy is. Your your first son. Yeah. So yeah. how did that name come about without saying the whole name or anything? But how how did name? We named son? him after um, my husband. My. Uh, Tom's. After Tom's father. Uh huh. But we didn't put the second or a junior on it. We just gave him his father's name, and that's how he got his name. And I didn't have a problem with that. And we did communicate on 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 what the name would be. I mean, it's not like he just said, I want him to be this, and that's it. Got it. So his name is John Thomas, and he goes by Tommy. Mm-hmm. You guys just call him Tommy. Well, yeah, we always called him Tommy. Okay. So now Tommy, as you were saying, when Tommy was born. Yeah, uh, you know, about six weeks. I guess it was right after I started going back to work. And um, at the factory. At the factory. The Still same. worked at the same yes, factory. Yes. Yes. Uh, back then, that was good money, and I was basically supporting us, because, uh, like I said, his mother lived with us, so she got a social security check, and you know she would give us half of it, and she kept the other half. Um, what is Tom doing at this time? He's working in a cabinet shop. Um, with I can't even remember their names anymore, but anyway, he was a cabinet maker, and okay. he was a good cabinet maker. Uh-huh. Skilled. He was very skilled with it, and um, they didn't pay real, real well. But he would cash his paycheck, and he would just hand me the money and say, "This is all I made." But yet, he every Friday night, Saturday night, gone, gone. Sometimes he wouldn't come in till four or five in the morning. Sometimes he'd come in at one, depending on whether he lucked out or not. And when you say come in at, at those times, is he is he drunk? Is he? Sometimes he would be, you know, so drunk. I don't know how he got home. Other times, you know, he was uh, fresh. I mean, I can't tell you the lipsticks and the cologne and the right all of the genital diseases he gave me over the years. Uh, he was never loyal and so therefore I never build up any trust in him I never build up any kind of communication with him because it was his way or the highway and then after mom mom May left and went to Florida to live with her daughter that's when he started you know hitting and choking and hitting and choking yes so when his mother left the house, and now it's just you guys in the house, mm-hmm. and you had the child at the time, Tommy, mm-hmm. how old was he? Well, when when May left, I think Tommy had just started walking. Two, three years old? Oh, no. When they start walking, they're about nine months old, ten months old. I think both of my boys were walking by the time they were 11 months old. And it was shortly after that that... Because there was a lot of tension between Tom and I because of him going out and drinking all the time and not being at home and not doing anything around the house. So what is, okay, so explain that. Explain with a, as you say, a 9-month, 10-month, 11-month-old child. Explain just uh, the, the everyday life in the house of, of that. Well, like through the week, I had to be at work at 7, so I had to get up at 6. Um, until May left, you know, I didn't have to worry that much about Tommy because, you know, mom was there to 
take care of the baby during the day, so I would get up and go to work, come home from work, and um, Mom always had dinner cooked for us at the time. Tom would usually get home around 5. I would get home, my shift ended at 3.30, I would get home about 4.15 maybe. And um, I would either help her fix dinner or that was the time I spent with Tommy. I'd take him for walks or there was a little park across the street and I'd go over there and swing with him and play with him. And uh, then Tom would come in and eat dinner and he would hit the chair and either go to sleep or he would, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go out for a while. Never any explanation. He would just say, I'm going out. And off he would go. And then after May left. Well, before May left, we lived in a duplex. And there was an apartment above us. We had the ground. And it was nice. It was a three-bedroom. It was nice. And uh, there were two girls that lived up there. Um, Joyce, and I can't remember the name of the other one. The redhead. And I was, you know finally coming to the realization that when he would come in they would come in shortly after or right before him because you could hear him walking up the steps and walking around up there well one night it was about 1 30 in the morning and it woke me up because right over our bedroom was was their living room and the steps and I don't know most women are really in tune to their husbands I recognized the steps. And so I got up, threw on my robe, and I went around to the front door, and I knocked on the door, and Joyce came to the top of the landing. I said, is Tom up there? Tom? No, he ain't up here. I said, Joyce, I heard him walking around. She's trying to hold me in conversation, and then I remembered there was a second landing in the back. Yeah. And I quickly shut the door and ran around to the back, and I caught him coming down the steps. And we had a a really big argument then. And shortly after that is when um, when Mom left. Did she leave because of? Like I said, the tension between us, not between me and her. Well, it did get somehow between me and her. Because um, I was so resentful, and because I felt she knew she knew because she was really good friends with both of them yeah and so I, I i just never got over the feeling that she knew and and you felt betrayed and betrayed by not just him but by her too right and so i was a little short with her and you know so there's a lot of tension in the house and there's not a there's yeah. not much love and and your first child is, is growing up is growing up in this mm-hmm right and and you guys are just like it sounds like you're just trying to live your life and 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 achieve the goals that you want for your life tom's doing the same and this child is not being brought well now you're making it sound like it was really harsh in that but it wasn't where where tommy was concerned um i mean yes there were arguments but tom never argued with me until he would come in drunk and, and tommy would be asleep at that point he would come in drunk, and if he had a good night, he was fine. Make me some chicken soup. I'm hungry. Okay, so May leaves now, and yeah. you say the choking and the beating starts. Yeah, that's when they started. 
So the I'm first time that that happened? The first time it happened, he came in drunk one night and he was in a foul mood. You know, just horrible. And woke me up. And he woke me up by grabbing my hair. And, a, you know, I come out of a dead sleep and here's my husband with my head in his hand and he's trying to pull me off the bed. And I'm yelling at him, what, 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 what's going on? Yeah. Get out there and make me some chicken soup. I'm hungry. And so I got up and off the, by this time I'm on the floor and I get up off the floor and I go out and I make him some chicken soup. And he always liked that box soup where you have to cook it. Couldn't be canned soup. It had to be that box soup. So you're standing out there cooking it and all this time he's in the living room yelling. And I remember I went in and I told him, shut up. You're going to wake the baby up. Well, he jumped up, grabbed me by my throat, threw me against the wall, told me not to ever talk to him like that again. Yeah. And so you learn. But it was many times. It was, if he had a good night, you know, he would come in and lay down and go to sleep, or he'd be asleep in the car, and in the morning I'd find him asleep in the car. He wasn't a husband at all. I hadn't, There was no husband and wife. It was two people living in the house trying to get along because all he really wanted was a woman to take care of him wash his clothes, cook his meals so that he could be there to play with the son when he felt like he wanted to play with the son and if he didn't, he didn't so that went on for years okay we'll be back Okay, so we're back. So you were describing, um, when we left, you described that uh, this went on for years. Mm -hmm. So about what age do you think that Tommy started becoming uh, cognizant of uh, this environment? Well, I think Tommy learned at an early age because whenever Tom would raise his voice, he would either run to his bedroom or he would, you know, come and grab my leg and just hang on to my leg. There were times when Tom was um, physical with me um, and Tommy was probably seven or eight and Tommy went up and started hitting him in the leg and telling him to leave my mommy alone. And uh, Tom turned around and backhanded him. And I told, told Tommy to go to his room because I wanted him out of it, away from it. And um, he would do that. He went in and slammed the door, but you could hear him in there crying. So yes, it affected him. Um, he became very distrustful of his dad. Um, he got angry at me because dad would, you know, come in, I must be doing something wrong. You must be doing something wrong, mommy. Daddy wouldn't treat you like this, you know. And Right. And, okay, so Tom backhanded Was this the first time that Tom... That was the first time I'd seen him hit him, you know. Not like if I went to the grocery store on Saturday morning. I had two hours to go to the store and get my groceries and get back home. And uh, if I didn't, I'd catch hell because he always had plans for the weekend. But he would stay with Tommy and take care of Tommy when I went to the store now. There were times I would come home and Tommy would be in his room with the door shut. And I would say, why is Tommy in the room? Why isn't he out here? 
Because I sent him to his room. Why did you stay? You know, I've asked myself that many, many times over the years. But I think it was because my income would not have made a, um, a good living for us. At that time, there was no food stamps or welfare. That came later. Um, and I had to stop and weigh it out. Yeah. How would we live? How would I take care of him? You know, I'd have to get a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Where would I get the money for that? So, so the income of a woman back then was a lot less than what a man made. And to be able to go and, and get a place by yourself would take your whole paycheck. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're in a relationship now that it sounds like the relationship is is more out of just circumstance. It's not really a relationship of love, one that both parties really want to be in. You, if I heard you correctly, um, are already at this point deciding that you want to leave this relationship, but... I wouldn't go that far. I don't think I ever really wanted to leave. I think I... I think deep down I wanted it to work because... So is this what was making you stay? That was basically making me stay along with thinking about the finances and how I would do it because I wasn't going to get any help from mom and dad. Well, this know? is this is what I'm trying to, to, to get to. So the finances and all of these, these excuses that you were making for yourself as to not to leave, were they the excuses because at the end of the day you really wanted the relationship to work so you were making excuses as not to leave could be so it it, it could be right you know we all find reasons looking back on it now okay i would have been much better off if i had a left but then i wouldn't have had my second son and when did that come in and how did that come about well by this time we had moved to florida 1975. I think we moved to Florida in 1970. Uh, Tommy would have been three years old. And um, we got a place and um, we rented a house first. And we weren't very far from May and his sister and her husband and two kids. And so we we got into the family outings and uh, things like that. And um, Tom never changed. I mean, he... He never changed. So he didn't get worse or he didn't... And and he just stayed the same. He was basically the same. I mean, uh, Mickey's husband and him started palling around. Mickey? Who was Mickey? Mickey was his sister. Ah, okay. And um, they would pal around. Her, Her husband's name was Don. And Don and Tommy would go out on Friday night and then Mickey would... She'd be there with him because she never let Don out of the house without her with him. Hold, hold on one second. I know it can get confusing. So Don and Tommy, but you mean you mean Don's brother-in-law, Tom, your husband, not Tommy, your son. No, not no. My son was only three years right. old. Right. So that I point. just want to clarify for our listeners. Yeah. So, so Tom. Right. And Don. Right. Would go to the local bar in Safety Harbor. Got and it. Get all drunked up and everything, and Mickey would either join him. If she thought Don was gone too long, she would go down there and join him. And if Don gave her a fit, she gave it back to him because she was like him. She didn't take no shit. And she would tell me constantly that was my problem. I 
I let Tom do what he wanted to do and I didn't stop him. But my philosophy was, he's a man. He has his own thoughts. I want to be married to a man. You know, I don't want to have to tell somebody what they should and shouldn't do. He should know. And she said, well, that, that's your thinking and that's the reason why he goes out all the time. Yeah. But deep down, I knew that if I came down on him too hard, he would leave, and then there I would be. Right. So you were just scared of being alone. Yeah. Well, not scared of being alone as much as financially, and I didn't want to lose him. Everything that that came with being alone, right. Okay, so... So anyway, then we eventually, as time went on, we moved to Hudson, Florida, and um, we... We're having a really tough time making it because at this time he's running around with a guy named Roy and they would be gone for three or four days at a time and he would come back. And I was working in a construction office so I had the full responsibility of of going, you know, getting to the babysitter and getting to work, coming home, picking the baby up, going home, whatever I had to do at home. And we had a mobile home out on a country setting and we had chickens and a um, couple dogs. And so I I was continually busy doing things. And then he'd be gone for three or four days at a time sometimes. Sometimes he'd only be gone a night and come back. But then, I don't know how it happened. We saw an ad in the paper where this guy was advertising for a married couple where the husband could do maintenance and work filling boats with gas and it was at a um, it was called Harrison's Resort in Homosassa Springs like a marina yeah but they had the furnished house there and then there was a a lounge part on one part where we sold uh, beer and wine Mm -hmm. and uh, all kinds of fishing stuff well Tom's responsibility was going to be to take care of that and they had eight cabins, and mine was to keep the cabins rented and clean them up after. Well, we thought it was a good deal because it was going to be good money, and it was, you know, the housing was right there. It was a, it was a big one-bedroom apartment. So anyhow, we got accepted. We got the job, and we go up there, and it wasn't, for the first week, he was good about it, you know, because it was all new to him. You know, people coming in. He was meeting people in the lounge. And next thing I know, he met Earl and Jenny West. And then there it goes. Here goes the man-man relationship. Him and Earl became tight. And then he started going out with Earl and Jenny. Because Jenny was a drinker with Earl. And I was taking care of it all. I was I was filling the boats with gas. I was doing all the rentals. Doing all the cabin cleaning. Working the store. And how old is Tommy at this time? Well, Three or four, you say? It was 1974 when we went to Harrison's, and he was born in 67, so he was seven years seven old. Seven years old, okay. So he was in school. Okay. The bus did pick him up right at the entrance. But anyway, Thanksgiving weekend of 74, Shane was born 74, Thanksgiving weekend. So we had been there maybe eight months or so. And Tom's Aunt Marie and the daughter, I can't remember the daughter's name anymore, 
and they brought a friend along with them, a lady friend. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. So I, I get them a cabin, and they had to pay the fees. Tom tried to talk me out of paying fees, and I said, you can't. I can't because they monitor that. Yeah. We had a gardener that did all the lawn mowing and keeping the weeds and everything down. John was his name. And John reported he, how many cabins were were taken in that. And I said, I can't. They, they have to pay the fee. So anyway, Anne was her name. Marie's daughter, Anne. So anyhow, they all go out. Tom and this girl and, and Anne and uh, they came up on a Thursday so Thursday night they were out Friday they all sat around in the thing and drinking and then they go out again Friday night and went out Saturday night and by this time I'm starting to get suspicious and here to come to find out later Tom was having an affair with this girl and he came to me I'll never forget this he came to me about the third weekend that, that Marie and that Anne and this girl came to the cabins about the third weekend and I knew then something was going on and after she left they left to go back to Lakeland he sits me down in, in, the, in the lounge part and he said I've got a proposition for you and I said what he said well this girl that comes over with Anne is, is very well off. She's very rich. And she thinks she's in love with me. And I, I, you know, I felt the blood drain out of me as I'm sitting there listening to this. And he's saying, so what I want to do is I want to uh, get a divorce. I want to marry her. And he said, I'm going to take her for everything she's got. He said, and then I'll come back and we'll get remarried. It took a minute for it to absorb into what he was saying. And I must have called him every name in the book. And he just sat there and he said, so you're against it. I said, if you want to go run off with her, go ahead and run off with her. I don't care. I don't care. I'll figure out something to do. Well, that weekend that they came over on Thanksgiving, Tom and I had made love that one night. And I got pregnant with Shane. And the minute I got pregnant, I knew immediately whether it was because of being pregnant the first time or what but I knew immediately I went oh shit I'm pregnant I know it I know it and sure enough I was pregnant mm. so by the time this happened and I looked at him and I said but I just want you to know I'm pregnant again so without knowing wh- but just knowing internally but not knowing scientifically well no this was probably this you know, with them coming Medical over those weeks, it's probably about six weeks later or so. So I, I had missed my period, so I was pretty, I'm, okay. I was pretty certain that I was okay. pregnant. So I, I just saw him then, and he just looked at me, and he said, "Well, I guess that does that plan, doesn't it?" And I said, "I guess it does." But I said, "If you want to go, go ahead and go." Well, he hung around, and I don't know what he told the girl or if he kept on seeing him because at that point. I was so upset with him that I didn't care what... I wanted him gone. Go get drunk. Go. Just go. And the day that I went into labor with 
with uh, my youngest son, um, I had to be induced, and um, he wasn't around. He wasn't around. When I went into actual labor, and all through the night walking the floor in labor, he was out drinking. So this whole time through your pregnancy, it, it, it to me it sounded like it, it was a, a tumultuous time. So what kind of stresses were you going through while you're carrying this child and this child is growing in you? It was horrible. I mean, you can't relax with it. Um, uh, Tommy, my, my first son, was very excited about a, another child coming. He was happy. And, and I was too. I was hoping for a girl, of course, a boy and a girl. Um, but I remember when I was heavy in my ninth month in the middle of August and he was gone a lot I remember I just wanted the pregnancy to get over and I would stand on chairs and jump off onto the floor trying to get the labor to go so that I could have this baby and get out of this misery I mean you know middle of August you're, you're talking 95 degrees and carrying a baby and your husband's never home and you got a seven year and eight year old running around demanding things and you can't work. I had to go to HRS and apply for welfare and tell them that my husband had left me. Then that by that time they had food stamps, so I was able to get food stamps and I think they gave me um three hundred and fifty, four hundred dollars a month for for welfare and that's what I lived on. Wow, so you would stand on chairs and, and jump off trying to just have the pregnancy over Try and done with. Try to start with. the labor so that... And that didn't happen. That didn't happen. So you go into labor, you go to the hospital. Well, I had to be induced because I was... When I go to the doctor for my weekly checkups, as I got closer, I mean, I had dropped and everything, but I was just frantic. I was just basket case, barely holding myself together. And I told the doctor, I told Dr. Osterling, I said, I have to have this baby. I, I can't handle it anymore. Were you smoking? Were you drinking? Oh, no, I never drank. I never drank or smoked during either pregnancy. Neither one. Um, I never was a, a heavy drinker. Um, I mean, two beers would get me drunk. Were you under more stress in your second um, term with Shane or Tom? Oh, of course. So you were under more stress oh, yes. with Shane than you were with Tom. And I believe that's the reason why um, my second son didn't want to be born. <laughs> Call it fate, whatever, the baby instinct, or my body you know, saying no, you know, you're not having him. Um, I was well from him from from you jumping off chairs. He probably had a had a dig in and he's. <laughs> <laughs> He's wrestled in there. He don't know what the hell's <laughs> no, going on. Am I out. supposed to come out? Am I not supposed to come out? So, okay, so the baby's induced. So I'm, I'm induced, and, um, you know, Tom had to take me to the doctor to get induced because I, I wasn't allowed to drive, and I had to lay, you know, flat with my feet up for so long, you know, whatever, the whole ritual. And uh, so Tom drove me home, and the doctor told him, he said, now, because the doctor knew what was going on, and the doctor told him, he said, now you don't want to leave her tonight because she will go into labor and it may come fast. And uh, I made an impression on him. He took off. 
He dropped me off at the house. I'll only be gone a couple hours. I'll be back. Shoot, he never showed up. About 1 o'clock in the morning. Well, the labor started about 11. And I'm walking the floor, walking the floor. 3 o'clock, no time, no car, no transportation. And, uh, I mean, I'm in heavy labor then. I mean, there was something like maybe four minutes apart. And uh, I was getting ready to call 911. I mean, I hear I've got Tommy here too. What am I going to do with him? So finally Tom showed up drunk. He was so drunk. Jenny and Earl had to walk him in the house. He was so drunk he couldn't stand up. And they laid him on the couch. And, and uh, I said, Tom, I have to go to the hospital. And then later, oh, yeah, I can wait till morning. And he passes out. So Earl and Jenny leave. I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do here? So I got the keys to the car. And I left the note on the table. You know, because Tommy's sound asleep in the bed. And, of course, Tommy at this time is eight years old. Uh, it's not like he's three and four not knowing what to do. So I left the note and said I had to go to the hospital. I'm having the baby take care of Tommy. I took the car and I left. Drove myself. Oh my God, what a drive that was. I look back on it now and I don't know how I made it. I'd have to pull off the road and get out and walk around because they were just coming one on top of another. I'm thinking I'm not going to make it. I, you know, no cell phones at that point or nothing. Here it is, 3 o'clock in the morning, 3.30. Well, I made it. And, uh, but by then, that little stubborn thing would not come down. All day long I was in labor. And the doctor was getting nervous about it. So finally they told me, um, we have to take him, you know, his heart rate is dropping. We got to take him. And this is about three in the, no, six at night because he was born at 710. So it was somewhere around six, 630 at night. And, uh, and you're still by yourself. I'm still by myself. What, yeah. What's going on with your parents? Well, my parents lived in Ohio and, uh, we, They're just you're out of touch with your parents. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're in the hospital by yourself, seven ten. Yeah. And I, I believe it was seven ten, seven twenty, something like that. When when uh, baby they comes finally, out. No, they had to take him cesarean. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He he was a blue baby when he was first born. And what is a blue baby for listeners that don't know? A blue baby is a baby that is low on oxygen. There's not that much oxygen in their blood. And so their skin turns a light color of blue. He was breathing, but he was a light blue color. Okay. And they immediately, you know, whisked him, took care of him, and as soon as they put the oxygen on him, and was there a reason know, for the the blue baby? Or? Because he wouldn't come down into the birth canal, and so um, when when they're in the birth canal and they won't come down the musculars of the contractions are pushing against his lungs and he couldn't take deep enough breaths to get air to go through all of his body. Got it. And uh, so as soon as they, they found that out by the deceleration of the heart rate, uh, the doctor knew exactly what was happening. So. And, and is it safe to assume that all of that could be attributed to the stress that you were it going has, through? Yeah, that's exactly what Dr. Osterling told me. Due so, to my stress and the environment, 
and the continued pressure on me and my um, my depression that I had gone into were all the reason why he, you wouldn't drop down. Got it. So the baby's born um, cesarean. Born cesarean. Whisked away, cleaned up, uh, obviously survived and is healthy. Yes, yes. Um, he had a good weight to him. He was 8 pounds even, 21 inches long. And um, like I said, as soon as they put oxygen on him, he came right out of it, you know. And um, then he started wailing. <laughs> mm. And uh, how did the name come about? His name came about that that um, his father's family, Tom's family, uh, had Indian blood in them. And they were from the, um, at the time he had told me they had come from the Cheyenne tribe. And later on I found out it was a Cherokee. But that was his history. And his, Tom's mother was um, Scandinavian. And so I named him after his father. His father wanted me to name him just Cheyenne Allen with the last name and I didn't want him stuck with the name Cheyenne as his surname were they going to call him all his life Cheyenne and so I put Thomas in the front of it thinking that we would nickname him Shane so Tom was involved in the name process before you got to the hot like was this discussed no no this was after you know no, this was after he finally showed up. Um, I think the nurses told me at the time that I was in surgery, he sh he finally, um, Earl, brought, Earl or Jenny one brought him over because the car was there. And um, then all I knew is remember waking up in my room and he was sitting there next to me. Um, so the next day when he came back, we discussed the names and that's how we... You know, because he thought I was just going to name him the Cheyenne Allen in the last name, but after he left, I just kept thinking about it and thinking, well, "No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to saddle him with that as a first name." So I put the Thomas on the front, which I should have even called him another first name. Looking back on it now, I wish I had a. But, but you, but you referred to him as Shane. But we called him Shane. Where did that come? Well, it was a nickname that we came up with for because we weren't going to call him Cheyenne, so... I got it, see. So and, and there's obviously Cheyenne. a lot of Thomases and Toms and, mm. and stuff, yeah. it sounds like, in the family. So. Yeah, I got... Uh, I got so where's the relationship at this point that now that, that um I guess, we'll just continue with Shane. So now that Shane is, is now growing up, where is your guys' relationship at? It was basically the same. Things went on just like it did. Um, we lost the job at, at the resort, of course because the the man the guy that owned it Joe Bradham said that he said I could stay with the kids and he would help you know take care of everything that you know you'd make sure that I had everything I needed uh, but Tom couldn't stay and he he was a lawyer so he said I'll give I'll get you the divorce and you can stay but this happened when I was pregnant with with uh, the baby and I just, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't do it. Even though I told Joe, I said, you know, it's such a good deal for me. 
But I said, you know, if things fall apart, then there I am. And I can't get divorced when I'm pregnant. I can't do it. So Joe told me that if ever I changed my mind, let him know because he would hire me back in a minute, but not him. He said, I know too much about what he was doing. And he said, I heard too many bad reports on, you know, him abusing you. So the abuse hear. continued, and the, and oh, the, yeah. the alcohol continued, and yeah. and are you going to bars? Are you drinking? No, no. My my life was once in a while we would go out, which is funny that you mentioned that because our anniversary was August the fourth, and on our anniversary, and I'm nine months pregnant, of course, because my son was born on the twenty sixth, so. August the 4th, he decides him and Je Earl and Jenny and him and I would go up to the local um, restaurant and, you know, I'd have a anniversary dinner. Well, this was great to me. We'd get a babysitter for my older son and off we go. And as we're sitting there at the table, Tom was continually getting up and leaving, be gone for 10 or 15 minutes and he would come back first couple times I didn't think that much about it but the meal came and Tom was gone and he'd been gone for about 15-20 minutes and I looked, I remember looking at Jenny and saying where in the hell is he? What's he doing? Oh no, no, he's not, you know, they were covering for him. You know, he probably found some guy out there and they're talking. I'll go, I, she said, I'll go get him and I said, no you won't. I'll go get him. So here I am, cumbersome and I push myself out of the chair and I go out and I sneak him around the door and I look and he's sitting over there t on the bench talking to some girl mm -hmm. and this is the joke part of it all her nickname was Virgin Mary oh yeah so yeah so the, I mean that was my anniversary dinner and obviously that made you feel oh, insecure you know, and, and so these emotions are still residing in you, these insecurities, mm -hmm. you know. Um, now you they, take from the way I grew up, the insecurities of my childhood, my high school, the men that I, that I had in my life before him, and then for him to turn around and be this way throughout our whole marriage, you can imagine what that did to my psyche, to my self-esteem, to the way I looked at well, sure. Yeah, I can understand that. And and how is that being portrayed onto Shane now as a child? This environment. What, how what is Shane experiencing? Well, what is Shane seeing on his I, daily basis? When I brought Shane, and, home. and how old is Shane? Okay. Well, all right. Let me go on with the story then. So when I bring him home from the hospital, Tom came. They would, when you're on Medicaid, they wouldn't keep you in the hospital. The next day, I mean, even with a cesarean. The next day, I had to leave the hospital. Dr. Osterley told him when he came out, he said, do not leave her. She could hemorrhage. A lot of things can happen. But I can't let her stay in the hospital. You must mm -hmm. stay with her tonight. Same thing. He goes off and leaves. He come in at 3 o'clock in the morning, drunk on his ass, and uh, picked up a gun because I was arguing with him about it. Now, here I am with an, a day-old infant and an 8-year-old boy. And he picks up a gun, and he's shooting pictures off the walls. And Tommy comes running out, scared to death. 
and he made Tommy sit on the couch next to me and he threatened to kill us all. He was going to put this misery to an end. I'm going to shoot you all, kill the baby, or I'm going to shoot myself. Well, I was petrified. I would have done anything he wanted then to keep it. And this was said in front of the child? Oh, uh, yes. In front of Tommy? In front of Tommy. Okay. Absolutely. Tommy was scared. He was shaking and crying, and Tom kept yelling at him, shut that effing crying up. Well, because he was so drunk, he sat in the chair, and he went to sleep in the chair with a gun in his hand. So I whisked Tommy off to bed, and he was scared to death, so I laid down on the bed with him. We went and got the baby and brought the baby in, and the three of us laid in that old twin bed till morning. And I called Jenny. I said, come get him. I don't care where you take him. Keep him out all day. Why didn't, why didn't you leave that night? I couldn't. Where was I going to go? I had no money. No money. So anyhow, went through the night. Get in the morning. Tom was asleep on the couch. He had moved to the couch. So anyway, I get Jen, call Jenny. Her and Earl will be over in about a half hour to get him. So I wake him up and I say, Earl and Jenny's on their way over to get you for some reason, something I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, he jumps right up and cleans up a little bit. As soon as they come, they all leave. And I told Jenny, keep him out all day. Well, the minute they got down the road, I started packing the car. I packed the car with everything I could throw in it. And I took off for Ohio. What was in Ohio? Your parents? My you're going, parents. You're going home. And Carol and was there too, so I, that's the only place I could go. I took off. So I left. Mm-hmm. You left by yourself? I left driving the car. And, okay, so where are the kids? Well, the kids are with me. Oh, you left with the kids to oh, Ohio? Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Okay. Yes, I took them with me. And um, so, so... Explain it took me, to me all that day to process. pack up what I could. I threw everything in there I could think of. And Tommy had a bicycle that he rode to the bus stop. And he kept it chained to the stop sign. And I met him at the bus stop. And he was upset because I couldn't take the bike. He didn't care I was leaving. He was happy. He said, it's about time, Mom. He wanted his bike. Oh, yes. But he wanted his bike. And I said, I can't. There's no room. Yeah. So that broke his heart. So you guys get to Ohio. We get to Ohio, and Mom and Dad took me in. I remember walking up to the door carrying the baby, and and the minute Mother opened the door, I put the baby in her arms, and I collapsed on the floor. And Dad came and picked me up and put me on the couch. And they said I slept for 12 hours, didn't even move. Mm. But then, you know, it took him a month before I finally relented. He kept calling and calling. He knew I was there. They Tom. Had, at first, they kept denying it, but then finally... Who, okay, who, who is that? You said... My, my parents. Okay, so Tom keeps calling and your parents... Kept saying I wasn't there. They don't know where I got was. Got it, okay. Um, you know, Dad was mad as a hornet. If he'd have gotten his hands on Tom at that moment, he'd have probably killed him. Um, so it was probably a month before I relented and that he could come up and we would see where it goes, but I'm not going back to Florida. I don't care, I don't care. Uh-huh. Well, anyhow, he came up. We stayed in Ohio for about three months. And the biggest mistake I made, I came back to Florida with him. I shouldn't have done it, but I did. Because he was good while he was there. 
I thought, oh, he learned his lesson. But it didn't. It went on and on and on. Until so when you come back to Florida, how old are the kids at this time? Well, the baby was about three months old. And Tommy's still eight and a half. You, Tommy had turned nine and... When was he born? November. November. 1967. Yes. So this was 1975. So he was eight. He had just turned nine. Uh, old and wise at nine. Old and wise at nine, huh? Did you start seeing... Okay, so let's, let's fast forward because we're spending a lot of time... Um, where and when did you start seeing a transition in, uh, let's say, let's start with Tommy. Did you start seeing behavioral patterns, Yes, Tommy became very arrogant and um, he lied constantly. Um, what would he lie about? That anything. If he took a candy bar, he'd lie and say he didn't do it, that, that, that the baby did it. Um, or I did it and I didn't remember um, you and he and he wasn't doing this before. Like, no, from a young age, he just started no. lying. No, first. he didn't start until after we moved back to Florida, and you know, and I think moving back in with his dad just did it. I really do. I really think that that was the thing that did it, um, because Tom didn't change. As soon as we got back to Florida, he, he went right back and did the same thing again. Was that trauma ever the the trauma that? Tommy experienced um, on the couch with you and the gun was that ever talked about was no. it ever discussed was anything ever explained to Tommy as to what happened at this point no. so Tommy was left to try to figure out that occurrence by himself yeah with basically. no explanation whatsoever right. what the hell just happened right like I said I made a lot of mistakes when I was you know well, um, these are the things that are important because, again, this, this here is about education for parents that are going through the same thing that you just went through, that you have gone through. you got to talk it out. You know, and, and these, these occurrences happen every day. And I want my listeners to understand the repercussions and the actions that occur after that because these traumas are never visited. So here Tommy was probably... Uh, scared in, in in the most animalistic way mm -hmm. because our number one our number one rule in our DNA book of, of code is survival and Tommy knew at eight years old that that was in jeopardy he was in a in a in a jeopardizing position mm -hmm. now Tom may have knew that he wasn't going to do that he was just blowing hot air but the, the scene that he but, created, right. right, the scene that he created, created such fear in other people because they were, were, did not know what Tom knew, mm -hmm. right? They were under the impression that their life was in jeopardy, mm -hmm. and that was never visited with Tommy. Okay, so, so now Tommy begins to lie. What yeah, other, as, what other as, behavioral aspects? Well, you know, he, he would go out and get on his bike and... And um, ride around, and he wouldn't come home for dinner, and I'd have to go hunting for him. And there was a great big tower behind our house, a communication tower, like a radio tower, a big radio tower, a hundred feet, two hundred feet. Uh, oh golly, just probably estimate. 150 feet. Yeah, just an it estimate. It was way up there. Okay. And um, him and a neighbor boy decided they were going to climb it. 
and the police were called and had to get them down. They climbed it. They climbed the tower. They were in the process. I think they got something like halfway up or something like huh. that. And how old was he at this time? He was probably. Oh golly. This was after I left Tom, or after Tom left me for Karen, and married. We got a divorce, and he married Karen. And it was in that period, and that was in '79. So he would have been twelve. Twelve, 12 years uh, at old. At twelve years old. So around twelve years old. You if started... I put him in his room for discipline, he'd climb out the window. And he got so he was going across the street to this older man, which I felt was a very responsible person. And this is something, you know, that needs to be told because this older man was a single man, lived in the house. His name was Jack, that's all I'm going to say. And the way he'd come across to me when I would talk to him is that he was going to take Tommy under his wing and you know, and teach him about discipline and how to be a young man. So I saw no reason. There was nothing there to show me anything else. So when Tommy would come home from school and I would make him sit Okay, let's, his... st let's stop right there for one second. So you have this man. Now you're you're alone now, right? Yeah, Cause, yeah. And you have these two boys. Mm -hmm. And one is starting to become defiant. Oh, very. Right? And you don't know how to deal with this defiancy. Because he's becoming, he's not listening to you. Yeah. Um, you I tried to get him into the you sheriff's auxiliary, thinking that would be a good thing for him, and he fought me on that. Have you ever spanked him or disciplined him oh, no, physically? Oh, there was no spanking him. Okay. I mean, when he was younger, I used to spank him, with, but I never ever used a belt or anything. It was my hand until it started hurting my hand, and then I saw it wasn't doing any good anyway, so... I would try talking to him, but it, it would go in one ear now. So, so possibly around 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, he started seeing or believing um, from the actions of his father and the disrespect that was shown towards you that maybe this is possibly the way you're supposed to be the way that you're supposed to be that you're soft and you're weak and you can't discipline me you can't tell me what to do i'm going to go out and do that's whatever it. i want to go that's do exactly, anyhow that was his attitude because he's copying what was shown by his father and exactly. this started occurring around 12 years old so now this man across the street sees that you're a single mother struggling stressed out and seeing he, me chase tommy down the street right and he's directly across the street from directly. you Okay, so he sees all these things, and he sees Tommy on a, a current sneaking out. He knows all, uh, okay, and now he wants to offer a helping hand. Yes, and that was the way he presented it to me, and he told me that he was a retired lawyer, so I thought, okay, well, that makes him, you know, reputable. He knows all these things, and he said, I'll take him, you know, and I'll try to see what I can do with him, and that's the way it started it seemed to me because I never saw anything any different but it got so as soon as Tommy had come home from school he'd fight me at the table to do his homework I mean literally fight me at the table and then all he wanted to do was get up and run across the street to Jack's house and then I'd call him home for dinner sometimes I'd have to call there and tell Jack I said it's dinner he, I'm calling but he's not coming I'll send him right home and I still never clicked anything in. I, I was naive. I 
I believed. And he'd come over and eat his dinner and right back over at Jack. Well, okay, so explain your life at this time now. You know, you're you're working full time. I'm working full time in an office. Okay. And you're taking care of the two kids and all that responsibility of what comes with that. Do you ever have any personal time for yourself to really just sit oh, down no. and think or anything? You're just exhausted by the end I'm, of the day. I'm on Friday nights, me and I made friends with a girl at the street whom we are still friends. 48 years later, we're still friends. And Judy and I, she was going through the same thing. She had four kids she was raising on her own. And so on Friday night, we would pool for the babysitter and we would go up to the local bar and have three or four beers. Are are your friends children the same age as yes. Tommy? Yeah, they're they're in they're, Okay. The girl her daughter Lisa was the same age. In fact they were born a week apart. So it sounds to me that, that almost like Jack is is a reprieve for you because Tommy is now spending time over there. You know you've told yourself that he's this is a good guy. He was an attorney. Yeah, because I never saw him. So he's safe over there. He's mm -hmm. getting mail, presents, you know. That's what I thought. And did you notice any behavioral changes in Tommy at that time? Not until everything came out. And I got sitting back and thinking about it. Um, I never thought about Tommy starting into his manhood and the, the things that boys go through at that point. Because you're not a boy, and, and you never went through right, that. right, you know. And you don't have a male presence. Too. There was no male presence, you know. I would date somebody off and on, uh, but I never allowed anybody into the house to to take over the kids or anything. So the story is is that this Jack was running a pornographic operation operation okay and he was using the neighbor kids kids uh, in the neighborhood to what i to run this a day, pornographic operation to this day i don't know the details i i don't want to know the details uh, all i know is that it broke loose when one night um after dinner tommy was going to go over jack's and i said no you're not we're going to have the family night here <clears throat> we're going to watch TV together because we weren't spending that much time together. And I said, we're just going to talk and do whatever. I don't have to stay over here with you. Mm -hmm. And that irked me. And I said, oh, yes, you do. You're not going out. So I sent him to his room, and he tried crawling out the window. And I heard him. So I went and opened the door, and I caught him just as he was starting to push himself up to the window. And I took him out to the, I said, come out here, son. We're gonna have, we're gonna have a serious talk here. So he reluctantly came out, and I said, "There's a meeting tonight at the sheriff's auxiliary. You're gonna go." No, I'm not. Yes, you are. So he pulled a tom on me. He grabbed a hold of me. Now he's 12 years old, but he was a good-sized boy. And he grabbed me, and he spun me around and backed me up to the refrigerator and had one hand on my throat and the other hand up like he was gonna hit me. And I looked at him and I said, you raise your hand and you hit me, it will be the last day of freedom for you because I will call the sheriff. And I said, you better think about what you're doing. So he kept me in that position for a minute. Then he dropped off 
and he went out the front door and over to Jack's. And I got on the phone and I called Tom. I said, this is it. Now this is how the story broke. I said, this is it. And I told him what happened. Oh, he, you know, he didn't, I said, Tom, you come get him right now. He's gonna come with you. He won't listen to me. He's turning defiant. He's gonna get in trouble. You come get him and put a man's hand on him. That's what he needs. Well, they reluctantly came down, you know. By this time, Tommy was back in the house when they got there. And Shane had to stay in the room, and the four of us sat at the table. And, and <coughs> I told Tom everything that had been happening. You know, and he's looking at Tommy, and he's raising his voice to him. I said, that's not going to help. I said, he needs, he needs your discipline, but not yelling and screaming, Tom. Mm-hmm. And I said, I need you to take him for a while and see if you can straighten him out. Well, his new wife, Karen, she was reluctant. But she finally agreed that she had a young son or a daughter. I don't remember what it was. She had one child. Mm-hmm. I think it was a girl. And um, so they, Tommy starts crying. No, Mommy, no, no, no. I'll behave. I'll never do it to you again. I said, no, you blew your chance. When you raised, pushed me against the refrigerator and raised your hand, with your hand around my throat, I said, that was the last chance you got. If you can do that to your mother, then you need to be with your father. Well, to make a long story, so he goes. Well, now he can't come down to Jack's. So how it came out, I don't know, but it, it came out at that point. I think that, that later I found that they were running an investigation on, on Jack to begin with. And then I heard that Lisa called the cops and told them what was going on. But no matter what... Lisa is... Judy's daughter. Judy, which is your friend, okay. Yeah. One of the neighborhood right, children. Right, right. And because she was involved in it. So do you have any idea uh, to the extent of how Tommy was involved in this? No. You have no idea to the extent of the trauma that your son was involved uh, in? Why? You know, that's a really good question because at that point, I don't know where I was at mentally and emotionally. Um, I remember Tom called me and, and just was irate because I didn't know what was going on next door. And I remember I was in shock because Tom told me I was a no good mother. I, I didn't deserve Shane. He was going to take Shane away from me because of what happened to Tommy. And I'm, I, I, I'm breaking down and I'm saying, but I didn't know. There was nothing to show me that that was going on. Nothing. But come to find out, it's because of everything that was going on that was making Tommy more aggressive. Well, was there nothing to show you what was going on, or was you just so distracted no. in daily no. life? Hold on. That you were so distracted in daily life, and that you've already told yourself that you can trust this person. So, therefore, you really weren't even looking for signs. That, that part's probably true. I wasn't looking for anything. And now. again, that's that's very important. Again, because uh, as I've stressed in, in, in prior episodes, when you trust, when you give somebody your trust, you don't investigate that person anymore, right? Because you've given this person that trust. So you've given Jack your trust. So you're not investigating. You're not looking for signs because of that. Okay. So now 
I can't even imagine the the the, the how you were feeling at that oh, time. Yes. What kind of state were you in as as a human being? Yeah. What what kind of state were you? I was, I was so depressed. That's when they put me on depressants. Uh, shortly after that, I tried committing suicide. How so? Uh, out of guilt, with pills. Pills. With pills the doctor was giving me, and. Um, guilt out of what guilt happened to you. Out of what happened to Tommy and why I didn't see it and you know what was going to happen to him um, so the guilt I carried at that point in my life brought back all of the guilts and of my past mistakes and everything that happened confounded now with this new issue and I'm doubting myself and everything. I lost my job because I couldn't concentrate at work. And I had to find another job because here I had this rental and I had this child. Your life is out of control. Out you have, of control. You have altogether. no idea how to, how to get it, get back on the path. And you, and you don't have anybody around you. Do you have any positive influences around you to help you, to help guide you? Like say, hey, Jan, listen. What, what's going no, on in I your life? because I didn't tell people what was going on. Because you were an Judy introvert. Judy was the only one that I talked to, and she was going through her own turmoil, and she would understand, and we would banter back and forth. But both of y'all didn't know how. But it was negativism how. with negativism. Both of y'all are in the same boat without yeah. a paddle. Yeah. Right. So there was no positive And again, these anymore. children are, are caught in the middle of all of this. Mm -hmm. So now you lose Shane and Tommy? No, um... Tom came down, had had um, Shane for the weekend, and he called me on Sunday and said that he was bringing him down, um, but it wouldn't be until late Sunday night, and he may keep him overnight, not bring him down to Monday. And I said, oh, no, you're not. You're bringing him home now. And we got an argument on the phone, and then come to find I said, you're drinking. And he said, that has nothing to do with it. I'll bring him down. I'll be there in an hour. Said, fine. Well, when he arrives, he's drunk. He starts a fight with me about it happened to leave his house to bring one son down when I couldn't control another son. And um, we go through all that. And the next thing I know, he's got his hand around my throat, throwing me against the wall. And, and he slapped me once. So I had a small cut over my eye. Well, we were screaming. It was in the middle of summer. And Jack heard it and called the cops. Jack across the street. Jack across the street because he's right dead is across this, the street. Is this after the pedophilia? Yes, yes. So Jack didn't go to jail? I think he was waiting on trial at that point. So he's out on bond. I think he's out on bond and he's Jesus. waiting. Okay. And, and so he hears And this it. is again 1980, 81, 79, right around in there. 79, it would have been in 1980. Yeah, okay. So anyway, Jack calls the cops. The cops come screeching up. Three cars. I mean, I don't know what he told them. And uh, <coughs> Tom sits down on the couch. And the cop comes to the door. And he said, you know, come out here. We want to talk to you. So Tom got up and went out into the yard and is talking to the cops. Want to make a long story short, he's defying the cops. He's not leaving because they told him he had to leave. He's not leaving because he's drunk. And he knows if he got behind the wheel of the car, they're going to get him. So he refuses to leave, and he heads back up to my door. And the cop told him to stop, and he wouldn't, so they went up and grabbed him. 
there's a shuffle. <coughs> One cop is injured. So Tom goes to jail. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's take a break. So Tom goes to jail. Okay. Now, when his family gets him out of jail and he goes to Karen's house, they get in a big row. And I guess hell broke loose up there over all of it. And Karen left him. So, he stayed there for a while. We went to court. I had to go as as, as the witness. And um, so Tom got a year and a day because the judge said he wanted him to go to state and not in the county because he wanted him to learn a lesson. So he got a year and a day. Um, so that's when Karen divorced him. So. I okay, so, so he's in prison now. You, you in, have both the kids back with you. Yes, I got okay. both kids back. And, and you are working. Which How are you managing life at that point? Well, it's the same as before, only Tommy wasn't as as aggressive as he was. Is he Jack just, still across the street? I think at this time Jack is gone. I think he put his house up for sale and he went to jail. But But Tommy comes back to the same house. No, I had moved to another house okay. at this point. Okay. So he's not in the same environment that he was in where this trauma was no, happening at. No, no. I, I, had, I had to go to a cheaper rental. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. I went to a cheaper rental. And um, then, make a long story short, Tom ends up in, in Zephyr Hills jail. And, and Okay. He calls me and I go see him. And One second. One second. We're moving, we're moving a little fast, and this is very imperative. And then we have to take a, a quick break. Um, did you ever visit with Tommy and sit down and talk to him about the trauma that he experienced with Jack? Or anything? He wouldn't talk about it. I tried talking to him once, and, and he refused to talk about it. You just tried one time. You I only tried to, No, you, I didn't continue it. I no therapy? Tried, no. I wanted him to go to counseling, and he wouldn't go. Um, so long story short is that trauma has never been visited with him either no no okay we'll be back okay so we're back so so Tom goes to prison you have the kids um, you've moved to a different place um, Tommy is not as rebellious as he was but he is still showing signs of rebellion anger would you say uh, yeah I would say it's it's anger at everything and not understanding his role, where he's supposed to be. Or Lashing what. out, yelling, defiant. Is he skipping school? No. I think school was an outlet for him. No. No, he went to school every day. Was um, he fighting in school? Was he... You know, a lot of that stuff is hard to remember. Yeah. Okay, I, so I Tom, Tom's in prison, and, and what happens? Um, he calls me... Um, Again, regretful, you know, convinced me that, you know, he knows he made a mistake with Karen, blah, blah, blah. So when he gets out of prison, he only served four months. So when he gets out, he had nowhere to go. 
and he begged me to let him come and he'd sleep on the couch and he'd you know go to work and help with the bills and well at this point I had my own life as I was dating someone and um, so Tom started going to the bar where Bobby and I went how did Tom get out of prison he got out on early release they okay. he only had to serve four months okay so how they worked it I don't know okay. he got out so anyhow eventually Tom was resentful that I was seeing Bobby and so he would start problems he'd come to wherever we were at and he would start problems so to make a long story short they got in a big fight and Bobby and I broke up and so Tom convinced me that we should give it another shot and then but this time his probation officer is coming down on us that he cannot have an unmarried um, probationer in a live-in relationship. He had to be married. He had to be married okay. or he had to move out. Well, he okay. had nowhere to go. We talked about it. We did communicate on that one. And so we decided that we would give it one more shot and see if we could make it work. Yeah. So this is the first time in your life, it sounds like, that you are going into an, 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 a relationship with some sort of agreement. Yes. It's the first time that we actually sat down and talked about it and decided that, that we would give it another shot. But, of course, he promised the sun and the moon, too. Uh, but as usual, it didn't work out. Uh, he started running again. Um, Tommy sees all this. and How old is he at this time now? Tommy's probably 14 at this point. Okay. And so him and Tom are arguing, and, and Tom is trying to get physical with him, and... I mean, they wrestled around on the floor, but Tom never hurt him. But, you know, of course, he always won out. Dominated him. He dominated him. Would actually, you know, put his hands over his head and had him on the ground and, you know. Did you ever see that behavior copied from Tommy to Shane? Did Tommy ever dominate Shane? Oh, yes. Oh, my God, they got in ferocious fights. Um... Shane was afraid of him at that point, but he would stand up to him until Tommy would would physically, you know, push him to the ground or, you know, yell. Hold him, hold him down. Just oh, the same yeah. attributes that the his same father. Thing, yes. And so there was a lot of animosity between the two. And they were both in the same bedroom and there was nothing but fights over that. I can't rest because he's in here playing with these trains and these cars. And it was just... Constant turmoil. Constant turmoil. Constant turmoil between the two of them. They never really got along and accepted each other until years later. Years okay. later. And they still have some problems. With so it. when did you start seeing behavioral differences in, in Shane? Now, is Shane going back and forth between... Uh, well, okay, so so you guys decide... To, okay, I'm sorry. Cause I, so you guys decide to get married. Remarried. Yes. Okay. He's so then, doing the same thing. Right. So then because Tom has a boat that carried over from everything, he decided that he wanted to be up towards the Hudson area on a canal where he could keep the boat right there. And his plan was to be able to take the boys out fishing. Or, I mean, that's the way he related to me. 
Um, of course, it didn't work out that way, but that's the way he related. So anyway, we moved to this house up there, nice little house. And for a while it went okay, but the next thing you know, he's back out drinking again, gone again. He wasn't taking the kids out on a boat, and I was fighting with Tommy, and and Shane would be begging, I want to go out in a boat, I, you know. And uh, it never happened because he was too busy going out drinking again. So then he met another woman. And this time, um, he tried to hide it from me, but I knew, I always know. And so I approached him with it, and he said, yeah, I am. What are you going to do about it? You're either going to take it here and, and stick with it, or you're going to leave. Yeah. So I just looked at him, and I said, I'm going to leave. I said, but this time, you're going to have the boys. You're going to have the boys, and you're going to see what it's like to have to get up and take them to school and make sure they got everything they need, all this and that. I said, because I'm a basket case. I mean, I, w I was a basket case. Well, so we go to court, I move out. I, I get a little apartment and I move out. Tommy refused to come down on weekends and see me, but I would go get Shane. And then I wasn't, I, I was in such a mental, emotional wreck. I'm missing my boys like crazy, but knowing that I have to do this. I've got to get on my feet. I've got to get my head straight. I've got to take care of me before I can take care of them again. And Shane is how old at this age? Shane is probably eight now. Seven. I think he was seven. Yeah, I think he was seven because I had him in uh, the first grade. Okay. And um, so I'm, I'm going through all of this turmoil. And Tommy refused to come visit me. Um. I think maybe one or two times he came down when I would go pick up Shane and he would come with me for the weekend, but he would be antsy and, and picking on Shane and just made the visit totally horrible. It was horrible visits because they would be at each other no matter what. They could be in the same room and they were arguing. And so as time went on, um, I'm losing my train of thought as, as to how it transpired. But anyway, he ends up with this other woman. She was um, a receptionist in a school, the secretary of, of an elementary school. And, um, yeah, she was, and he moved in with her. As soon as I left the house a week later, he moved in with her. And, um, had Tommy and moved in with her. I think that's how it was. And I had Shane. No. When I went to the apartment, he had both kids. He took both kids and moved in with um, this woman. Uh, she was a very nice woman. You know, I tried to accept it, but it was hard on me. With all the other turmoil I was going through, missing my kids like crazy, and now I'm understanding she, that he moved him in with another woman and, and she's taking care of him and doing Did she what, have kids as well? She had two girls uh -huh. and they were teenage girls, I believe, at the time. So kind of like a plug and play family. So so here and and, and you can always correct me if I'm wrong, but so you're seeing your your son's taken away from you 
No, they weren't taken away from me at that point. You it were was okay, voluntary at that point because you were trying to to correct your life, and and now you're seeing your boys go into uh, a family type environment with you know uh, girls now and mm-hmm. and, and you're just one. and you're just kind of there. And I'm just hung out. Yeah, I'm just hung out. And it got to the point that I started drinking at that point um, to try to forget. To numb the pain. To numb the, the, the ache. It, it was not pain as much as it was just I ached. My heart hurt. And if I drank, I didn't feel it. And I could forget it. Um, so anyway, I went through that cycle until the day we went to court for the judge. And um, I asked the judge if it would be possible. I wanted, I wanted him to take the kids for just a year. And in that year, give me time to get my head on straight, to, to figure out what I need to do not, to not only get rid of all of this depression and everything I was in, but to also be able to provide for them and get them back. And the judge said, that's fine with me. Tom had a lawyer there with him, and Tom just flat out said, no, no, nope, I'm not going to listen to it, not going to hear it. And the judge said, but it sounds like a reasonable, give her a year to get back on her feet. I don't care if she gets back on her feet. As far as I'm concerned, she's out of it. He said, I want the boys, period. And he said, well, the judge said, well, he said, she's the one that's raised the boys all this time. Through all of your things that you've done to her, she's kept the boys and tried to make, I think we owe her a chance to get it. And Tom said, no, no. He said, well, then I have no alternative because she can't have him right now. She's only in a one-bedroom apartment. She has no means of support. I can't let the kids go back with her. And you're saying you won't take them unless I give you permanent custody. And he said, that's right. He said, well, then I, I have no choice but to put him in foster home. And Tom looked at him and put him in foster home. And I'd rather see him in foster home. By this time, I'm I'm hysterical. I'm about to lose it. And the judge said, let me understand what you're saying. You're saying that you won't take these kids for a year and let your wife get back on her feet. You would rather see them go into foster home. He said, yes. So that's when I broke down. I said, no, then let him have them. Let him have I won't have my boys separated. I won't do that to them. And that's how he got custody. Well, from that point, I went into total depression. I was trying to commit suicide. I don't know how many times. One time I tried I to see, wreck my car in a tree. I see cut marks on your arm. What are those? No, those were when I was a child. My brother and sister did that to me when I was uh, a toddler. Okay. So so now the boys are with the father. Mm-hmm. You're an emotional wreck. Mm-hmm. You're drinking. Um, you're you're picking up men from the bars. Uh, to a certain extent, I went into relationships with them. It wasn't just picking them up one night stands, but yeah, I was having relationships with. I, I would have a relationship. Anybody with, that would show you attention. In anybody any kind of way. that would care enough about me to want to be with me. It, at that point, I needed somebody to love me because I felt so unloved. And these people that you were you were dating were emotional wrecks themselves. No, most of them were alcoholics. Yeah. They had their own problems. And and were you introducing these men to any of your children? 
like when you were like if Shane would come over for the weekend and if Shane came over for the weekend I think the only one they saw me with was Bobby because him and I started dating again and but he was a good guy he was an alcoholic but he was a good guy and he would take them if I had both of them I mean he would he would do things with them take them to baseball things whatever to show them positive because he was a very positive person. So would you say that both of your kids had a very um, traumatic and tumultuous life with pockets of good times? With pockets of good times. Yeah. Yeah. Because then when Tom went with this woman and, and uh, took the kids, they they finally eventually, which is another long story which doesn't need to be told, but they ended up in a big house with a pool and everything. And I really thought that it was going to work out but I come to find out, you know, that he was holding a gun to her head and had threatened her on numerous occasions and was running around on her. And it was just, that's what the boys knew. That's what the boys knew. And these were stories that the boys were telling you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They would come back and tell me the stories of, of, of them fighting. and. So, so sticking with particularly Shane, um, because he had the most, the most traumatic uh Life. No, uh, I don't Car- think. Well, uh, I, wait a minute. I don't think Shane had the most tumultuous. Well, life. let me finish. As 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 far as incarceration, because Tommy only went to prison one time, I believe, right? Yeah, he was only in the county in the in the um, state jail for a short period of time. Now, is that to say that he wasn't? Um, he, he never got caught, or people didn't press charges on him. So he was still doing criminal activity. Oh yes. But he would just—he just knew how to manipulate the yeah. system, or yeah. And he learned his criminal behavior from his father. And the reason I say that is because they had this great big house, and for some reason they were running short of money or something. And so Tom had him. Tom and Rose were going away for the weekend. It was all planned out. I had Shane that weekend, and Tommy was supposed to go in and throw paint all over the the house inside destroy it to a certain extent Tom told him what things to break and which ones not to throw the grill off stuff in the pool TVs in the pool stuff like that so mm-hmm. he could get the insurance money okay so Tommy did that how and, old was Tommy at this time well he had to have been 16 or 17 yeah and at that point Tommy learned that you can do these things and they'll pay you for it. So Tom was just leading leading a life of of just doing what he wanted to do, um, without any kind of uh, how would you say any kind of of uh, Tom or Tommy. Tom. So, but well, that's what I'm saying. So Tom is leading a life of of unauthor you know, with his no authority. way or the highway. Right. And that, that's what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. I was trying to help you find it. <laughs> <laughs> I got tongue twisted. And he was attributing these things to his child. What, attribute, what, what attributions were you making as, as a parent being in the condition that you were in? How were you affecting your children? Well, I wasn't a very good mother at that point. Um, I was supposed to get Shane every other weekend 
Uh, Tommy at that point was was out driving, so you know he could come see me whenever he wanted to. But, but I was supposed to get Shane every other weekend, and there would be weekends that I wouldn't go. That I, for whatever reason, and and, and to this day I look back on it and I don't remember the reasons. Um, but I wouldn't show up and I wouldn't call. And I understood that, you know, he would stand at the door waiting for me. And I think back on that sometimes and it breaks my heart. That the times that he needed me and I wasn't there. Did you feel like, did you feel like he uh, had a family that you couldn't provide and he was better off where he was at? Or well, I, at you felt point, ashamed of getting him because right. you didn't have money to give him you know, the the house with the pool and all that yeah. stuff. At this point, I I had gotten to know Rose, and I liked Rose, her immensely. Rose, who is Rose? That's... Rose is the woman that he married. Okay. Uh, the, Got and, it. And with her being in the school system, I knew she had the education and the patience. And what I liked mostly about her was she had a lot of patience. And her and I would talk on the phone sometimes, you know, and she was very positive to me. Uh, of course, I didn't go into detail and tell her my life with Tom. Uh, but I think she knew from the instances that she had gone through with him. So I think she put the pieces together and knew what it was like. Um, but I felt that Rose was very capable. And I didn't resent her for what she was doing for Shane. I admired her for what she had done. She took him. She loved him like her own son. She she was doing everything for him. So I knew in the back of my mind that, that Shane would be fine with her. But still, I have the guilt because there were times when I should have been there and I wasn't. So did you notice your, your relationship with Shane change at all? Oh, Shane got to the point where it didn't matter to him whether he saw me or not and I understood that I understood where that was coming from um, we didn't get close again until I can't even remember I know it was years later so when did Shane start getting into trouble Shane started getting into trouble at about 13 same age as Tommy yeah um, I think the first deal was he was running with some kids in that neighborhood that, and uh, Rose couldn't control him and Tom wouldn't do anything about it or if he did he did it in the wrong manner I, I, I'm not privy to that but he ended up breaking into a house with these kids whether they induced him to do it or he, what because Shane became a kid that he was a follower he wasn't a leader he was a follower and that's what I kept telling the cops what was he following what Anybody, was, any of his little friends, if they wanted to take a bike ride and go where they wasn't supposed to. But I mean, was was Shane was was he trying was he trying to uh, was he seeking attention? Was was he what was Shane looking for at that moment? When Rose and I would talk, and she would tell me some of the things that went on at the school with his teachers and that, and how he lacked attention. She kept saying he was HD. ADD. ADD. And I kept saying, no, he's not. There's nothing wrong with Shane's mind. He knows he can get away with this. He knows what, that there's nothing going to happen to him. 
He's not ADD, and I, I fought with them constantly. But she finally got him approved through taking him to a couple of doctors and everything, and all of a sudden they put him on Ritalin or whatever they do. Ritalin, and then he was a zombie. He was a zombie. What do you mean he was a zombie? I would pick him up, and he would go and sit on the couch, and he'd be watching the cartoons, and then he was just fixed. It was like he was in his own world. Um, and I kept telling Rose, Rose, you're, the, it's, whether it's the wrong dosage or what, she said, but he's doing better in school. And I said, but look what it's doing to him. Mm -hmm. But Tom got on the phone and called me back and told me I had no business talking to Rose about it. I had nothing to do with it. I lost custody of him. They would make all decisions and for me to keep my mouth shut. And I said, I can. He's my son. No, he's not your son. He's Rose's son. So, okay, so he starts breaking into houses. I, I believe, mm -hmm. um, what, a total like 13 houses he ends up breaking into. That, I, I wasn't privy to a lot of that stuff. They kept, Rose and Tom kept a lot of that away from me. Mm -hmm. The day that he went to court, I wasn't allowed to go. I oh. wanted to go to the court date. So then what happens to Shane after? He got sent to... Uh, a state prison, Arcadia, I believe it was, um, and I don't remember the sentence, I think it was something like two years, mm -hmm. I don't remember, but I know that I, I would go down every other weekend to see him, and there is when we started to reconnect. Okay, well, when he goes to state prison, well because we, we skipped some time because at this time that he's breaking into these houses he's 13 years old so he um he, he probably went to like a juvenile hall to the JDC's hey, the juvenile head. but you don't know because you're not I'm not privy to anything they were doing with him so okay so now now Shane goes to state prison at 17 where okay. he gets tried as an adult okay right and now he's at in Arcadia, as mm -hmm. you said, and you're going and visiting him in, mm -hmm. in state prison. Mm -hmm. Where is his mentality at at this time? At first, he was he was very um, arrogant about it, um, defensive about it. Uh, he didn't deserve to be there, um, and I would just let him let him explode it all out, and then I would talk to him about. You know the things that he did and that this was his punishment he must accept it you know and come back from it try to do better and you say he did about two and a half years state yeah thing. I think it was it was either two Roughly. or right over two what happened when Shane came home how are you your relationship with him at this time I mean it sounds like you have no idea what was going on in your son's life at this time. Now, Tommy, of course, is 27, 28. Well, Tom, Tommy's eight years older. So if he was, if, if Shane was 17, then Tommy would have been 25. And that's when Tommy was doing all of his illegal stuff. He's a grown man going out trying to survive the way that he knows how and the way that he's From been shown. From what he was shown by his father, he's surviving that way. So yes. Shane gets out of prison and... Does he change his life? Does he... I think he did. Um, I'm trying to remember... 
I think he went back to Rose and Tom's. And um, I think he got his GED. I don't, I'm not sure whether he got it while he was in that prison or later. But anyway, I, um, I think he was doing better. He, like I said, we started to have a relationship. He would come down and spend the weekend with me. Uh, one time we went to Disney World and, and spent a weekend over there, which was always etched in my mind. I think about that often. Um, he turned out to be a, a more rounded kid. So, so moving forward, okay, so Shane gets out of prison, um, and he's, he's grown now, in his own mind, he's 22 years old, you know, at this time or whatever, 21, 22 years old, and take me through that, where's, where's Shane's mind at, um, how is he, how is he relating to society, how is he getting along with society? Well, he was very, very distant, and, and, um, hard to get a hold of. When I did see him, um, I noticed the cars he was driving, the clothes uh, were were um, top-notch Tommy Hilfinger and, and Nike and fancy shoes. And, and I remember I, I, I questioned him once about it and, and uh, he closed up on me and more or less was just letting me know with, you know, and for me not to worry about it. He, he's taking care of himself and he he got involved with with the wrong kids and running and doing everything that that he could to make up to show everybody that he was independent and it was his life and he's gonna do what he wanted with it was he selling drugs I didn't know it at the time not until much later did I learn um, that he was involved with people that were in into high-powered drugs, um, bringing cocaine in from Miami and and I don't know where else. And uh, he was involved in that and got into a conspiracy. And like all conspiracies, it all soon comes to an end. And and it came to an end. But by this time, he had um, met a girl, fell in love with her, and. Um, got her pregnant and so here we are with with um, the girl being pregnant and he's picked up in this conspiracy ring and it, it, it was it was horrible and when I heard about it and that, that it was federal I you can imagine what I felt uh, I failed both kids somehow if I had just kept him if I had just kept him if I just told the judge, no, I'm taking him with me, I'm keeping him with me, I might have saved Shane. I might have saved Shane. Saved him from all that. And those doubts are always with me. Tommy, to me, was lost. He, he was his dad, and his arrogance and his attitude was his dad. But Tommy was softer. Or Shane, I mean, was softer. He took after me in a lot of ways. And... Um, Nobody but someone that has gone through that can understand how a mother feels when she says that her heart is broken because she knows that she's partly to blame because she didn't do what she knows she needed to do. 
So he goes to jail. He got something like 224 months or something like that. And he ends up in the federal prisons and, you know, and from there, he's got a little girl that, that was born right before he, while he was waiting on for his trial. And so now we have this granddaughter and this sweet baby girl and he can't spend the time with her. He, he, he longs to be with her, but she's mostly in my care because the mother couldn't take care of her. So she was mostly in my care and I ended up practically raising her except for time. So this is, this is another child that's being raised without a father. Yes. So let me ask, in your 78 years and your timeline of life on this earth, do you see that life has been repetitious in that manner, just the same it's a circle? Just the same thing occurring over and over again? If you don't break the circle, it will continue. Because kids, I have learned that if I had spent more time with them when I got home from work, no matter how tired I was, if I had sat down with them and spent more time with them, more more positive discipline instead of yelling at them and sending them to their room because I was tired and, you know, whatever. If you don't break the cycle and teach your kids from the time they're toddlers what no means, what responsibility is, that they are responsible for their actions. If you don't do it when they're young, you can't teach them when they're older. Because in between this, that time and this time, they're picking up on everything that's happening around them. And you don't see it because you're so involved in your own pain and you're emotions. And this child is learning everything that he shouldn't be learning. And that's why we have the discipline problems, the kids running through the grocery store, knocking over things, throwing things down, yelling at you if you say you shouldn't be doing that. You know there's no discipline well I think a lot of that has to do with, with societal sensitivity as well I mean we're more of a sensitive society uh, you know uh, back in the days you may have been able to spank your child in the middle of the grocery store and and, and maybe even got an applaud but now yes, you'll but, have the, the police called on you and you'll like be you charged said, and, but like you said sir I'm 78 I have seen it I have been through it, and I know from my own experiences how everything turns around, that if you don't teach the child from the time they start walking, you're not going to teach it to them when they're 8 or 9 or 10. I agree with that. I agree with that. So, but, how, so how, okay, for, for somebody that's sitting here and they're listening to this, and they're saying, my life is in that circle, my my grandfather was the same way. My father was the same way. I'm turning into my father. How does this person break that cycle? First of all, this person has to really sit down, get themselves away from that environment, and sit down and look at the whole picture. Where do I think I'm going wrong? What is it I want out of life? What do I want to achieve? Do I want to be a cop? Do I want to be an accountant? Do I want to be a lawyer? Do I want to be an Indian chief? Whatever it is. And then sit down and decide how they're going to get to that goal. You have to be respectful to other people. 
you have to listen to those that have experience and can sit down and say, no, look, uh, Joe or Jenny, you're starting down a bad path here. Listen to people with experience, your friends, your neighbors, your parents, your aunts, your uncles. They'll all will be there to guide you if you just open up, tell them that you know that you're, 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 you're fearful of the path that you're taking. How do I correct it? Yeah, but these, these uncles and these aunts, that's what I'm saying is these days, these uncles, these aunts. But now, now they're at an older age. Most people, when they reach their 50s, they start to look back on their life and where they went wrong and why it happened. By the time they reach their 60s, they're starting to really say, oh, no, now I get it. I've got it all. I understand what it takes now. If I could put a time machine right here in front of you, where would you go? If I had a time machine? If I could put a time machine and you had one choice, one trip, to go anytime, any place. Well, it would have to be after both of my sons were born. So I would say it would be that time at Harrison's Resort when I was pregnant with Shane. If I could go back, I would go back to that time. Interesting. You wouldn't... And I and I would divorce Tom and I would raise both boys myself because I came from a disciplined family that taught responsibility and I've always been responsible no matter what I'm a hard worker I would have passed those those beliefs and that onto those boys when they were young enough and away from their father's influence and in an environment with with better people so you wouldn't go back to the little girl on the farm? No, because there's nothing I could change on that because I couldn't change my parents. Going back that far would have no influence. Not even if you just whispered in that little girl's ear, listen, you are. No, it wouldn't have mattered because I had too many negative things going on around me that would have overtook it. I would go back to that point. That was the transitional period mm -hmm. in your life. That was it. The time Joe Bradham said, I will help you. I should have taken that advice, and if I could go back, that's where I'd go back to, because then I would have my boys with me, and none of it, neither one of them would have gone through what well, they did. Well, Ms. Jan, this, this has been... <laughs> but let me tell you how it's all turned out, for those of you that wonder what happened to her after that. Well, now I own my own home. I live in a nice park. I have... Uh, enough money coming in on my social security and I work a couple days a week I have peace most of all I have peace I'm happy with myself now I've accepted things that I couldn't change I've apologized to both boys for the damage that I felt that I've done and now I just enjoy life I have finally reached the point where I like myself awesome and how is your relationship with your children now now I'm at the relationship with um, my older son is um, it's a good relationship because I don't ask him any questions um, he's still standoffish he's very secretive uh, <coughs> he still lies like a dog he's an introvert he's what would you say that he's introverted like how you were severely no, I wouldn't say severely because he's, he's, he 
he, he gets out and works and he's got his own business and financially he seems to be doing fine. Uh, <coughs> he's got two boys. He's, he's involved with a girl now that who has a teenage girl and he always wanted a girl so he feels that he's got the unique family. He can support everything. So he is happy with himself. Even though he's gotten most of everything the wrong way, he's still happy about that. And he's still of the attitude <coughs> do as do do as I say, not as I do. Well, and, and, and that's really a great thing. <coughs> you know. <coughs> and no. that's and that's one thing that we do in life, just like what you just said, is is even though he did it the wrong way. And and you know, that's some of the that's a lot of the problem that I feel that we have is is that we don't agree with the, the, the way that the next person achieves their successes and uh, we want to to be critical of them because we wouldn't want we wouldn't do them the same way you know but Tommy sounds like he, he has became successful in the only way that he knew how with the tools that he that was he given, had to do it with. and he has confidence in them tools because he sees rewards from yes. his actions. He's a very self-confident person. He's very sure of himself. That's all, uh, well. That's a good thing coming from the trauma that he's experienced. Yeah. Now the other son, uh, since he got out of prison, he's turned his life around. He has become uh, responsible. Uh, he's a little lazy. That's the only thing that I can say about him is. He doesn't like to really get out and do anything physical. But he's using his brain now. He's starting an, um, an, an endeavor that, that I think will uh, improve his life. And he and I have an excellent relationship. And I'm very happy for him. And I'm happy for my older son because I don't have to worry about him anymore. So you're at peace with yourself. I am definitely at peace with myself now. You and your Finally. dog. Me and my dog and my best friend. That's great. Well, Miss Jan, thank you so much. This this has been such an important message. Um, again, this this is this is our society. This is our suburbs. This is our communities. This is going on in every city, every town, with all of our children. You know, and it just sounds like your life has been one long <laughs> emotional decision that has been that that you've you've been making these decisions based out of just what's been going on in the moment and there's never really been no thought until you got much much older mm -hmm. and by this time your children are grown and having children of their own yeah and and this is this the circle the hamster wheel if you will of, of life that we're on so i i appreciate your message i hope that my listeners um i know that it was very lengthy but it was an important message i know we left a lot out I may want to run another interview with you at some point about your experiences of going through uh, federal incarceration with your son for oh, 12 yeah. years, 13 years, and all of what that is. So I'll revisit with you on that. Um, but this message was just about parenting, about um, our children, about what goes on in our, our children's lives every day, about how trauma um, continues to exist in, in, in children's days and and, and, with, let and, me and and the most important part about that, let me just finish this, the most important part about that, as you've clearly shown, is that when this trauma occurs, it's never visited, and it's never explained for the children to understand what occurred. Mm -hmm. So, 
and let me go back to the most important thing that I hope your 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 listeners get out of this is that when you're raising your children and no matter what the turmoil is you're going through you must remember that they are little listeners you think they can't hear you through a closed door but they can you think they can't see what's going on but they can and you 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 must you must decide that you have to be more conscious of what you're showing your children, of what they're hearing when they're young, because that is when their little impressions are the most, um, where they take it all in. Influenced. They're yeah, where sponges. they're the most influenced. And we think that they're just sitting over there playing with their blocks. So please, hear my story and listen to it and, and learn from what I didn't learn. That's, that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Okay, well, thank you for your time. Mr. You're welcome.